If you got your Bibles, open to 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start again in verse 5, uh, again going through this story of Elijah and the handoff that's made uh, between Elijah and Elisha. So here's the first question as we get started today. Have you ever read about something in the Bible and you wanted it to happen in your own life? You ever read about something in the Bible and wanted it to happen in your own life? Now just for the record, you think about salvation and forgiveness. Those are powerful things that again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, those things can happen immediately as soon as you ask for them. But maybe a little bit more superficial. You ever read through it in the Bible and you've gone, yeah, I'd like to walk on water like we sang about today. That'd be really cool to get to experience or even just to see that happen or heal the sick. I'd love to be able to know how it is to heal the sick and how that works, how, the, uh, how, those, uh, how that comes together, how you could take one kid's sack lunch and turn it into food for 5,000 people. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing that you want to know how to do, right? Again, it all goes through uh, the hand of Almighty God. But one of those things that we go through and that's kind of in that same vein is what we're going to study about today. Elisha looks at Elijah and says, I want the double portion of your spirit. He has the guts to look at him and say, I've seen amazing things happen spiritually in your life and through you, and I want the same thing to happen for me, but only two times larger than it happened for you. He's saying that to the great miracle worker of the Old Testament, and here's the deal. The story that we're going to read through today actually walks us through how you get a double portion of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, look with me real quick. 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 5, recap what we studied last week. Here's what it says, 2 Kings 2, starting in verse 5. It says, Now the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha, and they asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha says to him, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men in the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. But Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, and the water divided in two, to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over onto dry ground. Now stop right there for just a minute. I want you to notice the way that this story starts starts today, and again, this idea of double portion of the Spirit begins with Elijah on the last day of his life, and somehow it is visibly evident on him uh, that he is about to go and to be with God so much that every time they go to a village, the prophets in the village go, man, something's wrong with Elijah. Something's stirring in him. He's about to go to heaven. He's about to end it here on earth. And what happens? Elisha, kind of like his handler, his main disciple at this point, says, it's obvious, but don't speak of it. Let's let him bring it up on his own. Uh, but it's got to be something that's painful for him to know that he's about to leave, that his time on earth is done. So what happens? It says they wander with a group of 50 prophets, but Elijah and Elisha are kind of wandering together, but it's time for them to be alone. And so the Lord does a miracle. The Jordan River parts one of a handful of times in all the scripture when this takes place. The waters part, and Elijah and Elisha walk by themselves for a private discussion and for this request of this double portion that he's about to receive. It's a big request, and the question happens in private. Now, just before we get started, there's one little piece of groundwork I want to lay here for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith must be present in order to be multiplied. Let me say that again. Faith must be present in order to be multiplied. If you multiply any number times one, you get a positive number other than zero. If you multiply anything times zero, what do you get? 
You get zero. You cannot get something from nothing. And when it comes to faith, some of you may have this kind of attitude and this idea, I want just enough Jesus so that I can ask him to bless me, but I'll also take just enough Muhammad, I'll also take just enough Buddha, I'll also take just enough of my own self-initiative. And then whenever I need something, I can go to my different platforms. Here's the problem with that. Faith in Christ is a pledging of allegiance of your life specifically to him. It's why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, uh, John chapter 14. Jesus is not just a way, he is the way to be saved. Faith must be present in order to be multiplied. That principle, by the way, is all over scripture. Think about the five loaves and the two fish. It takes one sack lunch to multiply it into food for five to 15,000. Think again about the faith that has to be present in the disciples in Luke chapter five when they throw their nets over the side for the miraculous catch of fish to show up even though Jesus could have had the fish just hop up on shore. That action of faith has to be present in order for it to be multiplied. It begs our big question today. So how do we get a double portion of spirit? Let's walk through piece by piece in this final interaction with Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to follow this together. Look with me. 2 Kings chapter 2, and now let's look at verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, when they had crossed, this is when they are by themselves, the other 50 are on the other side. This is a a private inner circle conversation. Look at this. Elijah then said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Now stop right there for just a minute. Notice Elijah didn't say that to the company of 50. He says it very specifically to Elisha. He can tell that Elisha wants to ask him. And then Elisha has the guts to do it here. Look at what he says. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Circle, highlight, and underline that bold question that Elisha asked. And now let's look at the power of verse 10. He looks and says, you've asked a very difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Look at this. Otherwise not. Circle, highlight, and underline where it says otherwise not. What's so interesting that we find here in this passage is after he's asked for a double portion of spirit, Elijah then steps back and looks at Elisha and goes, dude, did you not realize you were receiving it all along through this time? Faith is not something that can be transferred or bestowed onto somebody else. I don't just wave my hands and say the magic wand or wave the magic wand in front of you and all of a sudden you get a double portion of spirit. He says you got to stick around when faith-filled things are happening and then that faith is multiplied into your own life. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we get a double portion of spirit? Number one, make yourself available to experience spiritual growth. Make yourself available to experience spiritual growth. Notice what Elijah says here. If you're around when this amazing holy moment is going to take place, then you will also have bestowed upon you and imprinted on you a moment of faith. But if you're not around, then you don't get to experience it and you don't get to receive it the same way. So in 2019... I had an opportunity to go cheer on my hometown team, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, in the Final Four. 
They played that first round. It was in Minneapolis. And I'm telling you, we drove into the game. It was incredible. They played Michigan State that first round. Any Michigan State fans in this room? I'm telling you, Texas Tech were the upstarts. It was one of the most impressive games I've ever gotten to see as a Red Raider fan. And I'm telling you, Texas Tech wins that game. They should not have. They win that game. And then they lost to Virginia fans. They lost the University of Virginia uh, in the finals in overtime. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And Autumn and I, my wife and I, we were in the room, Hamilton style, in the room where it happens, right? We were in there watching this thing, and it was unbelievable. I've got two pictures. The first picture is a picture of the floor. There were, I think, 80,000, 85,000 people in the stands that particular day, and we sat three rows from the top at that arena. Now, if you've been to a football game with 80,000 people the football field is massive the basketball court is much smaller and we are three rows from the top and we took a picture we literally had to train our eyes to see the basketball court because it was so stinking far away I took a second picture that picture was of the air conditioning unit 20 feet from my face right there the air conditioning unit for the building was literally right there we could see it with extreme clarity because it was not very far off but listen to me I was in the room. I was there. And it was electric. And you know what? Whenever I talk to my friends from Lubbock, nobody sits there and goes, what seats did you have? They just go, were you there? And I go, we were there. And they go, man, I can't believe it. I can't believe you got to go to the game. You were in the room. That's all that mattered was being in the room. This week at Falls Creek, I'd gone to this camp as a camper. I was baptized there when I was 14 years old. I'm telling you, powerful spiritual moment for me as a camper going to this place. I got to go with my dad when he was the speaker and kind of be his pal walking around. I got to go as a sponsor uh, and work with students. I got to go as a youth minister and took groups of students where they made decisions and then now I got to be the keynote speaker for 6,000 students this week Denver's gotten to sit in a couple different seats there too Denver was one of the ropes course workers and that was actually where he met his wife was working the ropes course there at Falls Creek Denver was the lead worship leader back in 2016 at camp now listen you know what we had the discussion about this week it doesn't matter which seat you sit in you just want to be in the room because the Holy Spirit's going to move. There are more than 50 students every night that came forward to receive Christ or to make a rededication decision. It was so powerful to get to be a part of that spiritual movement. And listen to me, you just want to be around. You just want to be there to experience it. Sometimes when you hear a pastor say, go to church, you can picture that they get some ego trip off the number that shows up. Can I tell you the truth? You just want to be around because if the Holy Spirit's going to move, it increases your faith when you're a part of it. Elijah says to Elisha, if you'll stick around, you're going to see God do something special. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. For some of you, that means you need to mark off Sunday as holy, this hour on Sunday morning as holy, that you're going to be around and be a part of what God is doing here through your church home. And then when you're out, you watch it online and make sure you jump in and be a part of the things that God is doing. Be around for the work that God's doing. Some of you need to join the Strand class on Tuesday mornings. It's a holy experience to get up early to show up. Every one of us have sacrificed to show up for that thing. And I'm telling you, you never know when the Spirit's going to move. For some of you need to sign up to go on a mission trip. It's not anything mystical or magical, but you have set aside a time to focus completely on God and give Him that week so that He could do something new 
a new movement in your life. Did you know TJ's got a team right now? In fact, they probably watch it online. Guys, good to see you. We got a team in Atlanta helping a church called Hope Church in Johns Creek, Georgia, uh, getting started this week. And man, they're down there. First mission trip Waterfront Church has send out, sent out with in-person people uh, since the pandemic has started. And we've also got two other weeks that we're going to help this church throughout the summer. I'm telling you, just being around, just being in the room, it's a pretty powerful thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Faith is not transferred. It is observed. All right, let me say that again. Faith is not transferred. It is observed. That means that as great as I can be from time to time and as awful I can be, I can't just look at you and be like, Austin, I bestow faith upon you. I can't do that. Faith can only come from God alone, and he's the one who bestows the faith upon us, and it moves in our midst, and then all of a sudden, our faith is increased. It is not transferred. It is observed, and I think 2 Kings chapter 2 lines that out for us pretty well. If you don't trust me there, flip over to Matthew chapter 20. Save your spot in 2 Kings 2. We hear it from the mouth of Jesus right here. Matthew chapter 20, and let's start in verse 20. Jesus is on his way to the cross, by the way, in this story. I mean, he truly is he's marching into Jerusalem. Uh, he's heading in. This is, this is the last run. And so look at what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him for a favor. Stop right there for just a minute. Can you see the parallel between Elijah and Elisha having an official private conversation and the one that's happened here? Man, the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John's mother at this point, Jesus has known her for three years personally, all right? Not only that, James and John have followed Jesus as his disciples for three years at this point. I mean, they are not, they, they, this is not like the first time they're meeting. And so what happens? All of a sudden, the mother comes up kneeling. Jesus, this is an official meeting. I have an official request for you. I mean, Jesus, you got to read in his voice here. He's like, what are you doing? All right, look at this. Verse 21. Okay, again, then it says the mother, or it says, uh, then the mother of the Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, she asked him for a favor. Look at Jesus. What is it you want? All right, what do you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Look at Jesus here. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? I love this. Yeah, we can. We can drink that cup. I want to be your chief of staff, and then John wants to be your secretary of state. All right, here it is. We've been loyal to you, Jesus, the last three years. Give us those seats that we deserve. A little nepotism here, all right? And we asked for it. We called shotgun, Jesus. That's what we're doing here. Before we walk in uh, to Jerusalem, we're calling shotgun. We want to sit front seat with you. Look at what he says here. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you indeed will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Verse 24, when the other 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Underline indignant. It's one of the only places in scripture that they were so angry. In verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Stop right there for just a minute. If there was ever a DC verse, I mean, this is one of them, right? This idea of this hierarchy, Jesus says, that's the way the world operates. You're the 12. You're my disciples. You're the ones that I've poured into and taught through service. He says, this is not the way that we're to behave. Instead,
said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus says here is so powerful. He said it's not about getting in the right seat. It's not about trying to build yourself in the right hierarchy. He said you just want to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. You just want to be in the room so that you can be forgiven. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And for you, you want to be the greatest? Be the one who's willing to do the work. Be the one who's willing to be around. It begs the question, is there someone of faith that you need to hang around? Is there someone of faith that you need to hang around? Now, before you all start emailing me to come hang out, all right? Now, listen. Okay, I love y'all. There's too many of you. You know what we can do? We can spend time on Sundays. We can spend time in discipleship. But for some of you, you need to make the decision that this is going to be a priority, that you're going to allow God to speak to you week after week, that you're going to do your absolute best to be around. And for some of you, you're going to use some of that vacation time when one of these mission trips comes up or one of these opportunities to volunteer like Night to Shine. Some of you can't take a whole week off to go, but you could take the Friday of Night to Shine off to help us set up. You could take one of those days off to help us get the sneakers together. We're still going to do the sneakers, by the way. Uh, This year, every single kid that signs up is going to get a pair of sneakers. We thought we experienced growth before, giving away those free shoes to those kids that they've worn all year long. I'm telling you, we have a sense this year it's going to be really, really special. Post-pandemic, I think it's going to be really, really special. Mark off the time. Our dear friend Jessica Monroe takes the time two times a month to go and serve the women at Calvary Women's Shelter. Listen to me. Take the time. Make yourself available to experience spiritual growth. Elijah says to Elisha, you want a double portion? You need to be around when the Spirit moves. Look at the next part. Now flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. It says, as they were walking on talking together. Underline, as they were walking and talking together. It says, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two men. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horse reel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. Stop right there for just a minute. Man, I'm telling you, this is a miracle of miracle that's taking place. Elijah, taken to heaven with chariots of fire. I mean, this is a once in a generation moment again once in a scriptural moment that takes place here uh, in this story but notice the lead in for this he's asking for a double portion Elijah has said you gotta be around the spirit's about to move if you're here you'll get to see it you'll experience that growth of faith if you're not you're gonna miss out on it and then it says they just start walking along the road and talking in the middle of talking the miracle happens what if Elijah had been taken up to heaven mid-conversation, and Elisha was like, I wanted to finish telling you my third point. There's a few things I need to say to you before you go. It was not about whatever conversation they were having. It was about the miracle that took place. That was the main event in this passage. They're walking, they're talking, they're checking things off a list, they're having discussions, but that moment is the one that they would be asked about later. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we get a double portion of spirit? Number one, make yourself available to experience spiritual growth. And number two, don't miss the main event. Don't miss the main event. One of the problems that we have in this city is there are a lot of you who are list people, all right? It has made you very, very efficient at your job. 
In fact, it's nice to be able to check those things off the list, isn't it? But listen to me. Sometimes we can become so much about the list that we miss the overarching theme of what we were actually working on. If you don't take anything else from today, write this down. Are you ready? Avoid letting the tasks of your day overshadow the mission of your life. Let me say that again. Avoid letting the tasks of your day overshadow the mission of your life. So back in the day, I waited tables at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? For those of you playing uh, waterfront bingo at home, all right, there you go, bingo, all right? In fact, Rogeria, she and I were hanging out at Red Lobster just the other day. Um, I love Red Lobster. For any of you who waited tables, okay, you know this. There's a term for when you get so bogged down with the tasks of your job that you end up missing, uh, that you end up missing the overall experience for the guest. We call it in the weeds. You ever heard that term before? In the weeds means, like at Red Lobster, we were tasked with making the salads. We were tasked with uh, refilling the drinks. We were tasked with, if we didn't have a bread maker on a particular your shift you had to make the bread because people really got angry if there wasn't fresh bread at red lobster still do all right if there's not fresh bread at red lobster and so here's the deal in the weeds is what would happen when you would get two or three tables set on you at the same time and everybody has to get their salads at a certain point in the meal everybody has to get a refill at a certain point if the kitchen's running behind with the food i'm telling you you have all these tasks to take care of but the overall experience of someone at the restaurant is going to determine whether or not they show up and come eat there again so what we would do is you would go into the back and a manager or assistant manager was always on duty for you to say i'm in the weeds i need help i got a whole bunch of tasks to take care of but the overall experience is about to suffer for these guests and just for the record they had a vested interest because people don't come back if they have a bad overall experience and you made two dollars and 13 cents an hour waiting tables okay but they still had to pay you minimum wage And so they had a vested interest in you making more than minimum wage so that the company didn't have to pay you an extra check at the end of the shift. And so I'm telling you, for the health of the restaurant, for the future of the restaurant, man, there are other people that can help with some of those tasks. You need to know, when the Lord has called you in your life to live missionally, he's placed you here in D.C. for such a time as this, for this moment of power. But when we hide down in the tasks... Sometimes we can miss the whole reason that he put us in this city, that he sent you here in the first place. Don't get in the weeds. In Elisha's case, he knows to stop talking and to look at the chariot of fire. I got to experience that this week. Some of you have been to Falls Creek before, and you know how intense it can be, specifically for the preacher. After it's over, because you've gotten to speak to thousands, I'm telling you, after it's done, I would hide in the back, okay, because there's a tidal wave of students that would roll out and sometimes they come up and they all want to meet the preacher. But the students that had made decisions for Christ that night and those adults, those are the ones that you really wanted to meet with and pray through because, I mean, they were in the birthing room at that point. Again, spiritual birthing room. So I'd wait in the back and then I would sneak out after it was over and then I would get to again pray with those kids that had made decisions. It was really, really special. So this particular day, I had told a story about my son Jack having autism And if you've ever gotten to spend time around an individual uh, who has autism, they're some of the most incredible people that you'll ever meet. If they know that you speak the language, that you understand that they navigate things in a little bit different way than a neurotypical, then they feel at home and they feel at ease to talk with you. So I shared this story about my son. And then after it's over, I walk out 
main group is left and there's the students being counseled up at the front and there's a bunch of pastors that are kind of off to the side waiting to counsel just in case they're needed and I walk over to one of them shake his hand and just start asking about the week and all of a sudden a young man named Montgomery Montgomery walks up and he stands like this just like a pencil and I can see it in the pastor's eyes. It's like, okay, here comes Montgomery. He spends a lot of time with him. But again, I see that and I go, that's the look I see on my son's face every day in our house. And it means he wants to say something. He doesn't quite know the words to say, but he wants to say something. And so Montgomery walks up. He stands again like the pencil. He begins to kind of fidget and shake until he's nervous. And the pastor looks at me and he goes, hey, Montgomery, uh, sorry about this, Pastor Zach. And I go, no, no. And I looked at him, I go, Montgomery, do you need to get saved? And I'm telling you, he gets so nervous and he goes, I get very nervous. He said, yes, I came up here. I said, is that the whole reason you came up here? He said, yes. We prayed to receive Christ. This peace comes over. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. And his pastor's jaws on the ground. He's like, I had no idea, but he had come up there. And that was the moment. It wasn't the moment of speaking to 6,000 for me that day. The eternal moment was not meeting the pastor down front. The eternal moment that I didn't need to miss was the young man standing like a pencil in front of me who needed someone to help him across that last stretch of the finish. Don't miss your moments. Don't miss those opportunities. Don't miss the main event. Avoid letting those tasks overshadow the mission of your life. Save your spot there in 2 Kings and flip over to Luke chapter 10. I want to read you verses 38 through 42. I thought about leaving this off in the message, and I feel like you need to hear it today. Are you ready? It's a famous story about busyness. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It says, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care? Underline, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now stop right there for just a minute. For those of you playing our home game who remember John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead, do you remember exactly what Mary and Martha both say to Jesus when they see that their brother has died when he could have been healed? They say, don't you care that our brother could have been saved if you could have been there? That was a go-to statement for that family. Isn't that interesting? Don't you care this idea of guilting one another, this idea of manipulating? That was a part of their family. And these were hard workers. Without Martha opening her home, this event doesn't take place. But what does she look at? She looks at Jesus and goes, don't you care that I'm running around busy? She should behave like me. She should be busy like I am. She should be task-oriented like I am. And watch what the Son of God says to her, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. I love that he says her name twice there. He's trying to get her attention. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. Look at this. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And now listen to the fire in his voice. And it will not be taken away from her. Jesus loved Martha. It is very clear in John chapter 11. He deeply cared for her. And for you busy people, the Lord can count on you to do amazing things for his kingdom. But listen, but the relationship that we have with Almighty God, Jesus himself says it is better than being busy. 
There are times he's called us to the work and man, we need to go out into the harvest. But there are times to sit at his feet. There are times to sit at his feet, to listen to the truth dripping from the lips of the master. And he says, and by the way, that will not be taken from you. That will not be something pushed to the side just so you can be busy. It begs the question, are you ready? Are you too busy to really grow spiritually? Yes, are you too busy to really grow spiritually? There's some of you in this room, and I'm telling you, you have built a career on checking stuff off a list. I'm not telling you not to do that thing. I'm telling you to remember the main event, the mission of your life is to know God, is to love him, is to serve him only. When we do those things, we get to be who we were made to be. Are you too busy to really grow spiritually? And now we get the end of our Elijah tale. Are you ready for this? Now flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start in verses 13 and 14. We're going to end in verses 13 and 14. Notice these first five words. It says, Elisha picked up the cloak. Do you remember what he just did in the previous verse before we read this one? He tore his clothes. Isn't that interesting? It was a sign that he had experienced God in a powerful way. And he tore the clothes and nothing is left of Elijah. He's been taken up to heaven. And you almost have to picture this, like a cloak falling down. I love that picture because in this is not some relic that's been left. It was the Lord's way of saying to Elisha, you need some new clothes, don't you? You just tore your clothes. You got, you got really into the moment. I'm going to take care of you. And all of a sudden, there it is. He gets a cloak. The Lord's taking care of him right there. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. It says, and went back and stood on the banks of the Jordan. All of a sudden, he's come to the water that he had watched parted. He can't get back on his own. Look at verse 14. This is so powerful. He then took the cloak that had fallen from him, struck the water with it. But don't miss the prayer here. Look at what he says. It says, where now is the Lord God of Elijah? Circle and highlight where now is the Lord God of Elijah. He asked, and when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and then he crossed over. Don't miss this. So many times we get so wrapped up in the miracle that we miss the humanity in the moment. Here is Elijah gone up to heaven, and Elisha is left there. The cloak comes down so that he can clothe himself. God is taking care of him, and he comes to the Jordan River. Elisha has never without Elijah done one of these miracles before. He's never experienced God in that way. So what does he do? He looks up to heaven and he says, God, where are you? I love this because he's a prophet. To this point, his entire career has been about telling other people about Yahweh and experiencing his mighty works. But for him, it's the first time he's had to do it all by himself. It's the first time he's gone to God all by himself. And he looks up and says, God, where are you? Elijah clearly couldn't do this by himself. I clearly can't do this by myself. Lord, help me. And what does he do? Strikes the water the same way Elijah did. And the power of God parts the Jordan River so that he can walk across. I always find that verse to be so powerful because even though he's experienced all that, he still has to walk the path himself. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we get a double portion of spirit? Number one, make yourself available to experience spiritual growth. Number two, don't miss the main event. And number three, look to God with expectation. Look to God with expectation. I wish it wasn't this way, but it just is. For some of you, 
deep relationship, friendship with God is made, it's multiplied, it's more accentuated when the spiritual mentor that you love so much is taken away from you in one capacity or another. I'm speaking of that as a voice of experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be death. For some of you, you've moved a long way from where that person is and you can't have the same contact with them that you normally do. You ever given a child a gift, a small child a gift before? When you give the child the gift, try this sometime. If you bring it in and it's wrapped up in a fancy box, all they can do is stare at that box. I mean, you move it up and down and around, all they can do is stare at that gift, right? It's not about you, it's about whatever is in that box. They want it and they wanna know what's in there. And when you hand it to them, their eyes are on it, they tear it open and they are all about that thing. In fact, one of the first words that any child learns is mine, right? Mine, this is my thing, right? You ever taken a toy away from a child before? Okay? If you do that, they will not look at the toy. They will look at you. How dare you take my stuff? How dare you take this from me? I hate to say this, but this is the way that we operate with God so many times. He gives us blessing, and we become all about that blessing. He gives it to us. It comes to us, and so it's from him. So it's a good thing that we focus on it, but it's so we can have a relationship with him. Something is taken from us. So many times our first thing is to look at him and go, how dare you take my stuff? How dare you take this thing that I could count on, this thing that was a pillar in my life. How dare you take this thing from me? It's the reason. Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job says so powerfully, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What Job is saying there in that powerful passage is whatever it is that God gives me, whatever it is that he takes away, it's his to do so that I can serve him more powerfully and I can worship him with my whole heart. In this case... Elijah is taken away. And all of a sudden we get that beautiful prayer. Lord, where are you? I can't do this alone. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is often not until we lose a deeply meaningful spiritual mentor that we realize the depth of our friendship with God. It is often not until we lose a deeply meaningful spiritual mentor that we realize the depth of our friendship with God. I love you so much. And I'm going to say this, and we might have some Oklahoma people watching. I'm sorry, it's just the truth. Are you ready? I love getting to speak there this week. I couldn't wait to get home. This is special. Preaching at Waterfront is my absolute favorite thing. Getting to be your pastor and your friend is my absolute, being a father and being a husband are my absolute favorite things. And this kind of symbolizes all of that in one piece. But guys, I can't vouch for you with God at the judgment seat. Only Jesus can do that. As much as I love being your pastor, someday if you should get to heaven and you go, Pastor Zach will tell you I'm a Christian, my word doesn't mean jack squat, man. It's only Jesus. In fact, the best pastors, mentors, are the ones that strive to be a big neon sign pointing to Jesus. I can't be your go-between. I'm a fellow traveler in this journey. At the end of my days, and someday the Lord will take me away in some capacity. The Lord will take you away in some capacity. On the day when that happens, you go to Jesus. You stand at the banks of the Jordan the day that you need a miracle, and you look up and you go, I experienced so much faith.
I've seen so many things that God has done. But you look to heaven and you go, okay, God, where are you? Without you, the Jordan doesn't part. Without you, the miracle doesn't happen. Without you, the sin is not forgiven. God, where are you? And then he touches the cloak to the Jordan. The waters part for one of the handful of times in all history. And then he's able to walk across safely. It begs the question, do you depend on a godly person more than you depend on God? Let me ask that again. Do you depend on a godly person more than you depend on God? If so, on the day of judgment, you will be sorely mistaken. It's all about Jesus. Is that a good word? It's all about Jesus. We have to trust him with our whole heart. And you know what? When you hurt, he is always available for you to go to him. Thanks for listening today, guys. Let's officially close the book on Elijah, all right? What a powerful story that we got to learn. Now, don't tune out. The most important part of the service are these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer.